Give it go. Oh, yes! Oh, where the puncture that one? Oh, Dumas. The entire bench got up on that one. Yes! Oh, the chicken for sure! All the day, it's mother chicken. Oh, did he give him one on that? What is going on, guys? It has been a minute since we have done a Pacer show, but we are back with you with another episode. And today, we are going to go over the last couple of games for the Indiana Pacers, able to pick up a couple wins over the last week or so. Last Monday, they were able to beat uh, the Memphis Grizzlies at home and then beat the uh, Utah Dads. It was a pretty important game. That was a impressive win by the Indiana and Pacers, they were able to get that win on Wednesday night. And then on Friday night, Gold, Gold Friday, Pacers were able to sneak one out against the Atlanta Hawks, but then go on a, went on a five-game road trip. First game was in Philadelphia on a back-to-back. Pacers kept it close. I thought they kept it respectable, and I thought the team fought. But in the end, the Sixers are probably the better team right now, and they were able to get that three-point victory. And then more recently, the Pacers... Uh, on Monday night, we're able to go to Memphis and beat the Memphis Grizzlies in a game that basically seemed like a summer league preseason game with how, with the attendance and the players that were in the game uh, during that game. So, um, Jake, we'll kinda, what, what were your general thoughts basically on the last few games for the Indiana Pacers? Well, it was nice for them to take care of teams they were supposed to take care of. You know, it wasn't always convincing, but... You know, when you're missing your best player, I think that's going to happen. And, you know, all in all, just impressed with the continued development of the bench. And you know, I'll mention them later, but the bench and, you know, the starters doing what they need to do. And, you know, it, it really impressed with, with the way guys are coming together. And, you know, the aggressive defense continues. And, you know, they're, they're just, they just really found like they, they really feel like they found the rhythm to me. I think the Jazz game was really kind of like an okay moment where it's like, you know, we, we've seen them beat up on bad teams, but what were they going to be like against good teams? And, you know, they played Utah and they played Philadelphia and both games, they were really good. I mean, they, they really handled Utah. I mean, I thought they were in control of that game the whole time. And you talk about Philly. I mean, they had just went into overtime with Atlanta, expended a lot more energy probably than they expected. Most of the starters played 40 plus minutes. You know, we joked about Savonis, uh, the had to put the fatigue on zero on 2K going into that Philly game with it. Stamina's on 100. Yeah, stamina's on 100 uh, going into that Philly game because he honestly looked fresher than I thought. I was just like, is this guy ever going to get tired? But and he was you know, out there guarding Embiid like 30 feet from the bucket to like face guarding the guy too, which was just mind-blowing to me. That was nice. He, he fouled out, but I, I thought he did a respectable job on him, to be honest with you. It wasn't, you know, I mean, Embiid is going to get his, you know, Sabonis has his, you know, athletic limitations that, you know, is going to allow him to take advantage. But all in all, I thought Sabonis actually did a pretty respectable job on him. So Yeah, he did make the – it's obvious with Embiid when he has Turner on him, it's a, it's, it's a mouse in the house, as, as, uh, Quinn Buck, as Quinn Buckner would say. But at least at least in the couple of positions we saw Embiid post up Sabonis, the buckets weren't easy. He didn't get them as easy as he does against Miles and – I mean, I think going forward, whenever we play Philly, because I think we're going to play him more than four times this year, I think Sabonis has got to be the lead guy to guard him uh, in the late-game situations. Yeah, if he lasts that long, he fouled, he fouled out. So we'll see. We'll see. Number one, he gets a bad whistle. Number two, he, he just has silly fouls. I don't know what's with him in fouls. But, um, you know, yeah. You know, the foul I, trouble, actually, the last couple of weeks hasn't been terrible. But the la- he's actually fouled out of the last two games. Yeah, I mean, he has gotten out of that. Like early on, I was like, "Can he handle the offensive role?" With because early on in the season, he was fouling. I mean, I used the comparison to Monopoly money. He was just acting like yeah. he had infinite amount of them. I mean, I don't I think know. This what is he something did. we got to get used to because, like you said, he's playing out of position most of the time, so he's kind of out of position for you know, defensively. He sometimes gets you know out of position, but I mean, I think it's just kind of what we have to expect from Sabonis is probably three to five fouls a game and. You know, always in foul trouble and having to worry about that. Well, when he when he had went through that stretch, he was playing the center position. So he was around the basket. And we you had mentioned that that's where he's best defensively. I mean, you mentioned him being able to post up and beat. I know this is, you know, kind of hard for some fans to wrap their head around because Miles has been dubbed as this, 
you know, elite defender, but Sabonis is the better interior defender. I mean, I'm sorry, but when I watch him play, he's much more physical. And and I think generally he's able to do a better job of keeping himself up and down and not allowing guys to get close to that restricted area. And and he's done a good enough job altering shots down there to where, you know, honestly, if there's a guy I want guarding the post on a, on a play-to-play basis, I want Sabonis down there because, you know, he he's able to man, manufacture down there and, you know, You've posted uh, one 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 uh, uh, one page. I'm a big fan of on Twitter is the NBA Math page, and they do the TPA system. And if you look on there, Sabonis is actually one of our top defenders. And you know, I don't just use that because it maybe skews towards certain players. Because if you look at his defensive rating, it's the highest it's been in his career. So the numbers back up what we're seeing that his defense has been much much better this year. Because that was one thing when he was looked at as a potential starter on this team is like, well, he's a complete liability defensively. And he was, but this year I think he's taken it up to another level. But when you put him on the two, you look at a common thread with the last two bigs he's faced, Josh Jackson, Joel Embiid, bigs that can move, bigs that can go off the dribble, bigs that can operate in space, um, you know, and that's where he's going to get in trouble. And that's where you talk about cross-matching. McMillan has to do a better job of identifying that and, and putting Sabonis in better situations um, because he, he's never going to be able to guard athletic fours. I mean, that's one thing Miles is going to have on him defensively. Is, you know, Miles can get out there and move laterally. His feet are much quicker. He's more nimble, longer, more athletic. There's a lot of, I mean, the list goes on. But, you know, generally, Sabonis has been much more effective in the post. So that was nice to see him be able to have his moments against Embiid on the back of that, on, on the second night of a back to back. I know we kind of went on a little long tangent on that. But, you know, for the team, Game back to the team in general. I, I thought, you know, obviously, like we said, the Utah game, they handle business. And then going into Philadelphia on the second night of a back-to-back on the road against a team pretty healthy. I mean, you know, they didn't have Josh Richardson, you know, a couple other a couple other role guys. But, you know, considering we were down our, our all-NBA wing and, and we our all-NBA guard, and, you know, we went in there and, and it took them three points. It, they only won by three points. And did you see the free-throw line discrepancy or the three-point line? Three, Free throw line success rate for Embiid and Simmons. I, I did not. Oh yeah, they they made all their free throws, but I, I will say, and that's kind of where I'll go a little bit off topic. But this is where I think it's so important to be home a home a first round home court advantage team because you clearly saw it that game Saturday night that Philly got a friendly whistle from the refs. Yeah, yeah, that played into part of the reason Sabonis fouled out and Miles Turner got into foul trouble early. Also, I mean they get. That was just that. That was crazy to me. I mean, I know. Well, it was... Yeah, I actually had a friend text me during or after the game. He said, "Well, you guys played tough and everything like that, and and you guys kept it close." And I'm like, "Yeah, but I think we could win one or two games against Philadelphia because Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are not going to shoot what was it, 11 of 11 from the three point line or from the free throw line in every game we play against them." Yeah, yeah. It was just a, it was just a ridiculous statistic and. You know, if they just miss four of those, I mean, that's not that's not too much to ask. I mean, either one of them. Especially could, from Ben Simmons, who's only a 56% free throw shooter. Man, and it's just, you know what, you go on the road and you lose a game by three like that. And, you know, we'll tie in the late game execution later because that was a big part of the reason why we lost too. You know, but you have a team that in that situation, you're down in that moment. And you have guys that are playing their, you know, what, the 15th or game or together or whatever. It wasn't, it's not very much. I mean, and they're facing a team that's been together for years. The Pacers wilted in that moment, all in all. But, you know, if you don't get 23 out of 23 from Simmons and Embiid, and you don't get that ridiculous home call whistle that they – I mean, they, they were just calling some ticky-tack fouls. And, you know, listen, I know I know Domas has his way of, you know, kind of using his elbow in the paint and stuff. And he gets away with some stuff too offensively. But, you know, I mean, I just thought the whistle was just really one-sided all in all. And, we, you know, I mean, we don't we don't make a habit of – you know, pointing the reps out on our show, but you know, it was, it was real last night. And, you know, if you don't get some of those factors in there, I mean, you, you win that game and, and, you know, to do that without Oladipo to be in that position on the road in a hostile environment. I mean, you, you heard the crowd. I mean, you saw the Sixers players that the end, I mean, that was kind of like a playoff atmosphere. I mean, it's silly to say, you know, in November, but they, that game mattered to them. I mean, to me, it looked like the next three games are going to be great. This is going to yeah. be a great series that we're going to have. And I hope we play. Yeah. I really don't hate. I hope we don't play them in the playoffs, but it's going to be a great series if we do. I I, I think that that was 
the Sixers and the Pacers were one of the most interesting matchups for me because I think they are so alike. I think they do a lot of the same things well, you know, and I, I just think it's a very even matchup. But, you know, all in all, I was so impressed with the team to be able to go on the road. And even though the game didn't end the, ended the way we wanted to, to be able to hold them to a three-point win, I thought was really a, a big moment. I think the Utah and the Philadelphia games were really defining moments for, you know, this team of, of guys that, you know, are going to play second fiddle when Victor comes back. I mean, I know it's going to be, you know, more balanced because there's talented players. But, I mean, all in all, I mean, this is a team that's only played a handful of games together. And to, to perform the way they have, Utah's considered, a you know, a, a finals contender in the West and Philly's a finals contender in the East. And the Pacers handled one and almost stole a victory from the other on a second night of a back-to-back where you went to overtime. Yeah, so, and I'm not. I'm stick out for me. And I'm not a huge fan of moral victories, but I mean, early on in this long NBA season, there's 82 games. And obviously, clearly not every game means the same amount. But I mean, this was when you looked at the schedule coming out, this was probably the first, maybe the second circle game that you looked at for the Pacers. Like, this is one of those landmark games you have to look at. And NBA kind of screwed us over having it be on a back-to-back. But you think about it, Pacers went. Yep. Had to go to had to go into overtime against Atlanta, and then second night of back to back they go to Philly, and they were up what fifteen points. They were up by a good amount yeah. in the third quarter, and that's a tough place to play in Philadelphia. They've got probably one of the best defenses in the league, and for them to only lose by three points after what had all happened in that game, I will take a loss like that. I mean, I will take all the moral victories from that game that. You know, we kept it close. You know, we, we had a chance to win everything like that because that shows what this team is capable of once we get to February and March when we really have to win some games against those teams uh, later in the year. And it's going to really show that, hey, we can compete with these teams once we get to the playoffs. So I'm not a huge moral victories guy, but I will take a moral victory in that in that game because, I mean, I'm looking at it right now, Philadelphia was undefe- is undefeated still at home. And their mar- average margin of victory was by 12 points. And you only lose by three points, late game execution, all that stuff. And you're able to barely lose in that game. So, Yeah, and I love you brought up the 15-point deficit because you know, I'm going to be honest. So when, it, when they went up 15 points, I was just like, you know, this game's probably not going to be much closer than 10 the rest of the way because they look like the far superior team. They look like, I mean, again, in a vacuum, they probably are the better team, but you know, especially with us on a back-to-back, we were on the road. We had another game coming up on Monday. You know, how easy would it have been? Like you said, this is November. For this team to pack it in and just say, you know what, we're, we're just going to move on. We're down 15. You know, this team's at home. We just came off. I mean, there's so many excuses they could have used. But but that that is so great to see that the fiber of this team is still there, that that the fact that they lost Thaddeus Young and, and Darren Collison and some of these veterans hasn't changed the fact that this team – fight so hard every night and and you know you give a ton of credit to this team I mean I think like you said I'm really glad you brought it up because I forgot it but you know come on the road and 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 fight like that when you're down like that in November I think it just shows the heart that this team has and you know I mean that circles back to Malcolm Brogdon for me because you know it's it's a guy that you know I think brings a ton of heart and energy to this team I think Sabonis is in that same cloth um you know, we see Justin Holiday bring that type of defensive fire and energy. And, and TJ you know, Warren really brought it in that Philadelphia game. He had scored yeah. 20 points. He was really the offense in the first half. I think he had like 15. He really brought – he really showed something in that game. That was one yeah, of the I, first I, big games, and he really showed us something. Yeah, and I think, I think it's – I think it's – I think it's infectious. I think he's – I think he's a byproduct. I think Aaron Holiday, another guy that's that's getting his hands on, on balls, that's, you know, drawing offensive fouls, that's – you know, doing things defensively that we haven't seen from him before. I think all of those guys are a byproduct of the guys at the top, the leaders on this team, showing that heart, showing that hustle, you know, carrying the torch for pride in Indiana defense. I mean, it the torch was successfully passed. And I think that a game like the one you saw in Philadelphia is is a big example of that. And so, you know, you don't want to harp on one game too much. But, you know, that that was really one of the early defining moments for this team to fight back from a deficit like that. And it was just really nice to see. So not the result we wanted, you know, obviously it would have been great to come out of that game with a victory, but you know, to be able to go in there and do what we did was impressive. 
some movement to so a little bit of an off-court issue, and Miles Turner has deactivated his Twitter and his Instagram for a while. And I don't know about you, Jake, but I'm I'm one of those people that that is in that realm of athletes are going to get people to talk bad or people are going to talk bad about you all the time if you're an athlete. You've got to get I think you've got to get used to it. You've got to have thick skin, and especially for a professional athlete. You shouldn't check your. You really shouldn't check your mentions because there's for every one person that's telling you how great you are, there's probably a hundred that are telling you how bad you are. So, I think Miles got a little bit flustered with the words that a lot of a lot of Pacers fans have had over the last couple of games. I think they're deserving. Miles hasn't been absolutely great the last few games, and I think it's it's part on Miles a little bit, and it's part on Nate McMillan. Now, I think Nate McMillan. You know, doesn't utilize Miles enough in the offense. His usage rate is a career low right now at 16%. But it's also, Miles passes up a lot of open shots, and we've seen it in the games. We've talked about it. But I just, I, th- I think Miles needs to just stop worrying about the social media. I'm glad he deactivated it all. But I just think he needs to not worry about the social media so much and just worry about how much, how he can help this team. Because I think his impact is far more than what he can bring on the offensive side. It's more of, what he can do defensively and the non-box score stuff. We talk about the Jazz game where, you know, he guard Boyan Bogdanovich and force a turnover. It's like his impact goes far beyond just how many points he scores on a per-night basis. Yeah, and, you know, this started really when they had that post-game interview against Utah. We talked about they had that big win, and he was clearly flustered. I mean, listen, Miles – is outstanding at being a team and I'll put that guy. for the listeners. I'll put that link in that description for the post game press conference so you guys get some context. But go ahead, Jake. Nice. Um, so Miles Turner has been since he's been here, he's been a team first guy, he's been first in the community. He has Turner's block. I mean, he checks the boxes. In he's terms one of the of voices, he's Brogdon is the voice, but he is also one of the voices. Yeah, I mean, he leads by example. I mean, Miles isn't a guy that's going to go out there and yell or do anything crazy. I mean, he's a real mild-mannered guy. But, you know, he leads by example. And, and you know, he's the most tenured pacer, so guys are going to naturally look up to him. And and I think he shows leadership in spades. Um, you know, I, I mean, again, the way he carries himself off the court, he does sacrifice his numbers on the court. Um, you know, like you said, some of that self-inflicted, some of it not. Um, you know, so I, I'll just say that initially about that about that interview in general that, listen, he was flustered. And, and like you said, he, his impacts reach farther than the box score. But I think, I think Miles feels like he can do more offense, that, that he wants to do more offensively, that he feels like he has the talent to do more in terms of scoring. And, you know, I mean, some people have brought up, is he, is he starting to feel a little jealousy that Sabonis is taking off the way he has? We don't know. He hasn't come across as that type of guy to me. But, I mean, it was kind of odd to see him point out the fact that – or not really point out, but just kind of seem, you know, kind of passively aggressive about his lack of offense. And, you know, he he personally said, I've sacrificed. And I feel like that says a lot because it's true, but he just hasn't really been a guy to bring up those types of things in, in the past. So I just felt like it was a weird time after a big team victory. But he has a right to be flustered. He He doesn't get the amount of shots that – you know, maybe a guy that can shoot it the way he can does, um, you know, so that that's where all this started was that interview after Utah. And then, you know, it kind of trickled in, you know, he had the next two games, he shot 27% on over 20 shots um, in the next two games and just, you know, didn't really look comfortable offensively, didn't really have the impact offensively that maybe he had hoped with an increased workload and, you know, the defense was still there. I mean, he was still doing good things, but, um, you know, again, he shot 27% after, you know, again, I mean, he, he, in a roundabout way stated that he wanted more involvement. He got it. And the first two, again, two games is an extraordinarily small sample size, but it wasn't going his way, those two games. And, you know, so that results in fans attacking him. And as fans, I'll say, there's no excuse. I, I agree with you to an extent that athletes need to, you know, kind of have the earmuffs on to quote Chuck Pagano. They need to have the earmuffs mm. on. But, you know, I mean, listen, fans have a bad habit of viewing these athletes as as a product. And we look at them by their numbers and their statistics and 
their wins and things like that. And, you know, people need to realize Miles Turner is a human being. I mean, you know, if I was an athlete, I, I don't know if I'd be able to stay off social media. I mean, especially in this day and age where there's a lot of pressure, there's pressure on him to be a star for this team. I mean, you know, if you, if you listen to the Pacers media, they have really pushed him as kind of the next all-star on this team. He was supposed to be Victor's Robin. And so I'm sure he's heard that. I'm sure he's, he's experiencing that pressure. And then on top of that, you throw on fans, really some of the things I've heard about uh, seen about him online have been bad. I mean, it's just not a good look for the fan base, the way, you know, people call him trash. People say he needs to be traded. And neither of those things I think are true at this juncture. I mean, he's obviously not trash. He's a great defender. He's a good shooter. He does so many things well for this team. We just mentioned his leadership. And then, and then secondly, as far as the trading goes, it's too early to determine whether anybody on this team needs to be traded. He's, yeah, he's as a, a whole in the NBA, you can't – I mean, Miles, you literally can't trade anybody for him because of the rule in the NBA to where when someone signs, um, they can't be traded until December 15th. So I think it's about 30% of the league actually can't be traded until December 15th anyway. So, I mean, I think it's it's basically t- – you can't, you can't expect the trade to happen in the next – two or three weeks if there was a trade to be happened because literally a third of the league can't be traded. And, and I'll say this about Miles. He's a 23-year-old with star, with, with star traits. And you, these fans need to realize, you're fans of the Indiana Pacers. How many 23-year-olds with traits that he has are walking through that door? I don't I don't see anybody lining up to sign with the Pacers. They've been a contender for the last 20 years. Nobody wants to come here. Nobody cares about the culture that we've instilled. And you have a guy, you can be frustrated with his offensive output. You can be frustrated with things. But I think to say that that a guy like that needs to be traded at this juncture is just very premature. I mean, they're very well made may be decisions that need to be made down the road but for fans need to tell this guy for fans to tell this guy to get out of town that you know he's soft he's trash that you don't say that to people that's a human being that's a guy that's giving away hundreds of tickets every year and you know a specific miles turner moment when i became a miles turner fan as an individual he did a he did a signing early on in his tenure with the pacers and it wasn't a signing i attended but he had put a little video on his Instagram, <clears throat> and what he did for that signing was everybody that showed up got a gift bag. Miles Turner personally made every fan that attended that that meet and greet or appearance a gift bag. And I thought, what a class, what a classy, selfless individual this young man is. He was again, this was very early on, and from that moment on, I was a Miles Turner fan because one thing that holds near and dear to me is when. Players are great with the fans in the community. It's one reason I'm an Indiana fan because I feel like these teams have always had a history of of guys that you know are real selfless, that are great community first guys, great guys on and off the court and field. And Miles Turner exemplifies that to me. So for for fans to sit there and say that he's trash and just keep it in your just keep it in your own head. You can think he's trash if you want to, but to go on social media and bash a guy with that kind of character, I think number one is just low. Because you know he's not going to personally call you out. And number two, he just has such great character that I just don't think it's called for, even if you are frustrated with his production. So I'll say that about the fans. And then in terms of the last point I'll make is about the offensive output itself or the offensive input he has. And then I talked to you about this a little bit is I think the biggest reason, number one, why Miles Turner isn't more involved this year is you have more multifaceted players. Malcolm Brogdon can make plays for others. You look at DeMontis Sabonis, his two-man rating with basically every guard and, and wing on this team is, is highs. I mean, he has an incredibly high uh, plus-minus, with uh, an incredibly high rating with Jeremy Lamb, incredibly high rating with Malcolm Brogdon. He can create for others. He passes better. There are just guys on this on this offense that can do more multifaceted things that the, that the coaches would rather run it through. And I think that that's one big reason why he's not being more involved as more than a spot-up shooter. And number two, I think you brought up a good point about his aggressiveness. I mean, listen, we can talk about Nate McMillan all we want, but the bottom line is everybody else on this offense is eating. I mean, Jeremy Lamb's averaging 17 points, for God's sakes. I mean, I don't think he holds in Nate McMillan's minds or coach's mind any more value than Miles Turner. 
I mean, Jeremy. And you can't, or, uh, and you can't say that he doesn't use a center because when Sabonis was at center position, it was yeah. basically career high numbers. Yeah, and and I mean, again, you you look at T.J. Warren's numbers, you look at Malcolm Brogdon's numbers, you look at Sabonis's numbers. I mean, you look at you look at Boyan Bogdanovich when you got here. It's just I've seen too many guys succeed in this offense, and and again, I I I don't claim to be Greg Popovich in terms of my mm. basketball knowledge, but. I just look at historically guys under Nate McMillan. There's not too many guys that come in here and have career lows and points. Thaddeus Young never fell off. Victor Oladipo had career highs. You see where Sabonis is in terms of his production. I mean, I there's mean, a just... lot of players are re- revitalizing their careers here. Yeah. Victor, Sabonis, Brogdon, or not Brogdon. Well, Brogdon, yes, he's taken over, but Boyan and uh, Darren Collison was good here. Corey Joseph at times was good here. I mean, oh. It's hardly ever where a guy actually falls off in production. Most guys, when they're coming here, their careers are ascending again. Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, look at Justin Holiday as an example. I mean, he's producing offensively. I mean, and it's just, again, and I don't... Dermott's actually good now. I mean, Doug yeah. Dermott's pretty good player now for us. I mean, he's a guy that generally shoots outside shots, and he's getting his numbers. I mean, and again, I don't want to put it all on Miles, because I don't claim to know every X and O aspect of this. But in terms of what I see historically from guys under Nate McMillan and what I'm seeing this year also, I mean, you you have to put some of this at the foot of Miles because what I see in terms of him on the court, I agree with you. I think he does pass up open shots. I do think his offensive scoring repertoire is limited. I don't see him being able to take guys off the dribble consistently. He can't post up consistently. and And when you don't have that, what are you left with? A spot-up jump shooter. And what has Miles Turner been this year? A spot-up jump shooter. So I don't know if McMillan is completely misusing him. Is he maximizing Miles? Probably not. But again, when you have guys like like Brockton and Sabonis on the court that can pass and can and can set screens and can do things for others that he's not able to do, I mean, at best, he's going to be the third option right now. Because again, what he's proven in his career is that he's a spot-up shooter. Uh, you know, I, I haven't seen anything from him in his career to show me that he can be a dynamic scorer in other ways. And I, so I think that, you know, for him to be happy and for fans to be happy, and I'm not saying that he can't grow. He's only 23. But I think for both parties to be happy, because, again, he was flushed at the Utah game. But until he's able to put more on-court production in other ways, I think that for him to be happy and the fans to be happy, understand that his role on this team, when you have so much talent everywhere, he's a defensive ace that's a good spot-up shooter. I mean, that, and that's what I think that, that the fans need to expect from him. And I, I just think that with the pressure of him being dubbed as the next all-star, being the next superstar in Indiana, I think that's what's ultimately led to this kind of clash between Turner and the fan base. And I think it's unfair to him and it's unfair to the fans because, you know, when I listen to the broadcast, I mean, they, they really hype up miles. I mean, and, and, you know, again, he has nice traits, he makes nice plays, but they really do hype him up. So it really, it's not a surprise to me that the fan base holds him in such high regard, but he he's really in a position right now where I feel like his best, his best role is as a, as a, as a spot up shooter and as our defensive ace. And he has plenty of time to grow in other areas. But as of right now, that's what I expect of him. And as a result, I'm not sitting here calling him names. I'm not sitting here thinking he's underperformed or underproduced because that's what I expect of him. That's what I've seen from him his first handful of years in the league. And that's what I see from him this year. So for me in general, you know, sum it up. I just think Miles Turner has a good role on this team. I think he should be on this team in the future. I think he's a high quality player. And and I hope in gen- I hope all in all it works out. Because him being on this on this roster opens up so much for us defensively. He opens things up spacing-wise for the offense. And he has a lot of good traits. So, you know, I don't want to see him traded. I don't think he should be talked to the way he was on social media. But, but in general, again, he has to understand that if you can't score in multiple ways and you can't facilitate for others, your involvement in the offense is going to be limited point blank. So that's what I have to say on the Miles Turner uh Turner thing. It was a little bit longer than I wanted, but all in all, that's how I feel on this situation. I, I hope it gets resolved because I love him as a player. I love him in this community. I love him on this team. So I hope that the fans can 
can really realize that him deleting his social media, I hope it's a wake-up call because what you're saying is heard from him. It is affecting him and impacting him as a player. And, and you know, it's just a, something we need to move on from and just appreciate what he is and not what he isn't. So let's go. We hinted at it a couple times earlier, but the late game execution by the Indiana Pacers, and it got glossed over a little bit in the Atlanta Hawks game on Friday night because the Pacers won, but it's a, it's, a, it's a theme with Nate McMillan, I think, specifically Nate McMillan, late game execution from the Indiana Pacers. It is very, very questionable, and you can look at the Hawks game. I think Turner, Turner had a couple of late game uh, shots that you probably want to give to someone else, and the play calling wasn't great. I think the last shot they had in the fourth quarter was a Warren or a Jeremy Lamb contested mid-range shot. That's not the shot you want. Then you go into the 76ers game, and you're down, what, two, three points, or you're down, and you can't even inbound the ball. And then possession before that, you're up by one. T.J. Warren, who is someone I'd like to have the ball in, in their hands, their final possession or two in the game, because I think he can create a shot. He turns the ball over, Philadelphia scores to take the lead, the one-point lead. So the last, the last, really not in the Memphis game, but the two of the last three games, the Pacers' late game execution is a little bit questionable. And if the Pacers want to be a second-round playoff team that I think they can be when Victor comes back, they're going to have to sure up that late-game execution. Yeah, and like you said, against the Philadelphia 76ers, that definitely reared its head because we lost. Um, like you said, they didn't finish out the game against Atlanta. It wasn't – It wasn't. and, and again, this is, this is Nate McMillan's biggest issue, for me at least, is, you know, just his, his drawing up plays in general, but especially at the end of the, especially at the end of the game. I mean, how many times are you going to drop T.J. Warren going to the corner for three? I mean, it's it's just how teams see that they they scheme towards it, they adjust it to it, and it's and they even showed it in the preseason against the Kings too. It's like no, it's not like this is something out of left field. He needs to he needs to take a page from Frank Reich's book and not show anything in the preseason because if that's going to be a play you show during the season, why in the world would you put it on film? in the preseason, especially when you know your play calling ability is limited anyway. I mean, he just – his lack of ability to draw up inbounds plays is just ridiculous to me. And if, I just you're, don't if you're able – if you're running that same action where it's – you've got Miles coming up to set a fade screen or a – I can't remember a, a, I can't remember what type of screen it's exactly called, but you set that to get Brogdon going away from the ball. First off, you shouldn't have Brogdon going away from the ball. You should have him going towards the ball. Big thing, you should probably have him having him inbound the ball instead of Jeremy Lamb. And you know, I love Jeremy Lamb, but I don't know if he's necessarily the the guy for to inbound the ball. And then you have Miles uh, setting the screen up top, and then you have T.J. Warren going into the corner, and you got to see everyone overplaying that. Why not say, "Hey, Miles, if this if they're overplaying this, cut cut them back door and go right to the bucket because there's no one protecting the rim." And it just seems like Nate doesn't draw up any type of counters that say, hey, if this play doesn't work, then we're basically screwed, but it's probably going to work because I drew this up. So that's that, uh, that's that's basically what I think. And I'll bring it up real sure? fast. The, the the pressure that our guards get, we talk, it, it showed a little bit in the Memphis game, but it really showed the Philadelphia game. When our guards pick up the ball in the front court, our team typically throws the ball away. And I think Brog, that's one of Brogdon's problem is, problems is, when he picks up the ball and gets double teamed, he likes to throw cross-court passes that get picked off fairly easily. And I think that's one problem that the Pacers have is they don't come. It's so it's such a simple nuance to basketball. It's coming to the ball when someone pick, someone picks up their dribble. Pacers don't really do that. The TJ Warren will do it at times. He'll come to the top of the key, but you'll just see everyone run to the ball. They won't try to make a back cut, or they won't try to actually try to get themselves open. They'll just run to the ball. I think that's kind of a problem with the Pacers, and it can really become a problem in the late-game situations. Because in the playoffs, you're not going to blow out teams, and you're not going to play the line of Hawks in the playoffs. Like, let's be let's be honest. That's why we're being more critical of the Philadelphia, the Philadelphia game. Even if we would have won, I'd have been more critical. Because that's a playoff team we're going to play um, late in the year. So, I, I don't know. That's, that's where I'm just worried about this late-game execution stuff, and I'm hoping it really doesn't rear its head. I mean, if you think about it, looking back at the Boston series from last year, 
it reared its head in the third and fourth quarter of last year. I mean, we scored, what, nine points in the third quarter in game one, and that ended up basically being the series. Boston would sweep us in four games. So it's just like we've got to get a more consistent effort in all, all around the second half. But we've got to get a better last two minutes of fourth quarters from Nate McMillan and this Pacers team. Yeah, and I, I just worry that with McMillan, it's not – I mean, I don't know what we're going to see different at this point. I mean, he's been the coach here long enough now to where we know his tendencies. And, again, these these situations are a big reason why fans are critical of him. And Oh, I know. know. I know the final two minutes, if the game is close, it's isolation with your guard and run the pick and roll 10 seconds left. The final two minutes. And that just bugs me so freaking much because I am a pro component of run a play because – you can get someone out of position. You can find a better shot than just running a pick and roll and having three guys stand still on the three-point line and running a pick and roll with two guys and expect a mid-range shot to get open. That's like one of my biggest criticisms with Nate is he's so about the pick and roll in the last two minutes instead of trying to run a play. Especially when teams are going to try to trap more, be more aggressive. I mean, those are situations where you want to try to avoid Look that. Look at 2017 with the Pacers in the playoffs. It was a lot of if Victor Oladipo got a screen from Sabonis or someone like that, they double teamed him 40 feet from the basket, and no one could, no one else could make a play for the Pacers. And that's kind of why they had to overhaul the roster was to get more playmakers like that. Yeah, and I mean, again, it's 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 an issue. I mean, and honestly, it's probably going to be an issue until until McMillan's gone. That's I think that's a big reason why he has playoff shortcomings because, like you said, you're going to face pressure. You're going to have those kinds of situations where you need coaches to draw up winning plays. And I just don't trust them to do it. I, I agree with you. I don't think there's any sort of creativity or innovation in the play calling. You know, he's literally calling one play over and over again. So it's not like he's even trying to, he's doing the same play that, like you said, he tried in the first game of the preseason. Why are you, I, I just, I will never wrap my head around how a professional basketball coach with professional assistance is no one coming up to him saying, Hey, Nate, man, you might want to call up another play. This just, we're watching it on tape and teams have figured it out. It's not, I mean, why is no one bringing this up? I mean, I don't understand it. It's incredibly frustrating. And like you said, even dating back to last year when Bogdanovich had his incredible run after Victor went out, I mean, that was his go to at the end of closed games. Yeah, Bogdanovich isolated. Like you said, you try to run a pick and roll, or, and he would have, or he would try to have Bogdanovich isolated and have him drive to the basket. He's not a guy that can go buy people and drive to the basket. Yeah, that's Why a is big that? no. That is a big no. And that's what they did time and time again. They ran him on, on the perimeter isolation, and he tried to he tried to push something towards the basket. That was just that was an almost automatic at the end of games when they had to have a yeah. bucket. You knew he was going to run it. You knew that's what was going to be the play. And it's just it's just maddening, man. Because there's there's a lot of people that say McMillan's horrible coach, and I'm not one of those people. I think he does good things well. Probably we just one of the best defensive coaches in the league, for being honest. I mean, he's turned T.J. Warren into a pretty damn good defender. I mean, he does things well. You listen to any player that plays for him. Malcolm Brogdon, I think, has been pretty honest in saying that McMillan was a big reason why why he wanted to be here. He feels like he's a player's coach. He respects him. He thinks he's good at his job. And when you have multiple, multiple respectful players saying that, I think that that carries weight. I think that he does do things well. Like we just mentioned earlier, he's maximized a lot of guys' offensive performances in Indiana. A lot of guys have played their best basketball in Indiana. I mean, we talk about a lot of other guys, but what about T.J. McConnell, a guy that a guy that McMillan himself said? He's probably my favorite gonna... pacer now. I'm sorry, yeah. Victor, but he's probably my favorite pacer. I love him so much. His, his moves are, are hilarious. He had a stutter step tonight. He was driving to the rim and just hesitated for a second. It was it was awesome. But uh, he, yeah, I mean, this that's another example of a guy that you know, is making the most of an opportunity here in Indiana under McMillan's tutelage. So he does things that, that I think are exceptional and does things that are that are positive. But, I mean, when you talk about the late-game execution, I mean, that trumps all of it because, like you said, when you get into crunch time in the playoffs, it doesn't matter if you won 50 games or 48 games. You're in that moment. You have to make a game-winning play, and your coach can't do it. It doesn't matter if we have five all-stars. Are the, are, is the offense overhauled and much better? Yes. Is there more playmakers around Victor Oladipo? Yes. But if he's going to run the same plays over and over again at the end of games, it doesn't matter if we have Kawhi, LeBron, Durant, Drummond, and Embiid on the same team. It doesn't matter. Because and I even literally, I've really texted you that, and I told you that, too, after the Philadelphia game. It, it doesn't matter who you have because teams have 
found him on film, and they just defend. It has to be the easiest thing of all time for a coach to scheme against. I mean, they, it just, it must just be incredibly easy. I, I can't even fathom it. But that that's just a huge issue, and I hope that you know you talked about not just the late game execution, but also just the pressure from guards in general. Guys have to do a better job of. You know, when guys get trapped, I, this team has a bad habit of just kind of standing there and watching the trap develop. I mean, they don't do a good job of aggressively coming and trying to help the trap player. And like you said, it ends up in like some errant cross court pass almost all the time. It's 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 incredibly hard to watch. It just bothers me so much as a basketball as a basketball person. I'm just like, God, go get go to the ball, go get the ball. Like I know it's such a simple task. It's just like this team has never really been able to do it. Yeah, it's odd oh, and. and and one more final point about Nate Millen. You want to hear his playoff win percentage as a head coach? Not really, but go ahead and tell me. In 49 games, he has won 34% of his, his games. He has mm-hmm. been in the playoff, he's been in the second round once, 20 or 2004. Well, and I'll say this about him. You know, if 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 we have the similar type of result this season, I think it's honestly time for Pritchard to consider moving on. And again, I know there's people that have already wrote him off, you know, but this, in all fairness to him, this, this offense has had severe limitations during his time here, you know, and, and the and roster. You've got the guys has, now. You've got the guys offensively. Now. That was kind of the point I was getting to. You have the horses now. And if it's going to happen for him to make an Eastern Conference finals run, it's going to happen now. Because if it doesn't work out for him this year, I mean, and I know Victor's going to be coming back from injury, but even without Oladipo, I mean, I think that this roster has a chance to at the least make this, make the semifinals of the conference, of the conference uh, playoffs. I mean, this team from top to bottom is really deep. I mean, and, and we've seen how they played even without Victor. So if he can't get out of the first round with this roster, I just don't know at this point what, what Kevin Pritchard does with them because, you know, again, it's just, it's, it's a frustrating situation because the players love him. He gets a lot out of guys, but at the end of the day, if you can't win in those crunch time situations, you you can't make it as as a as a basketball coach on a team that aspires to to make deep postseason runs and, and compete for championships. And I think the Pacers. I mean, we talked about it before the show. I think the Pacers may have a shot here with the number one, the current landscape of the conference, and number two, the depth of their roster. If Oladipo comes back healthy and returns to form, the Pacers may have an out a very very good window in the next two to three years to compete for a finals appearance but if they're if their coaches consist, consistently letting them down in these big moments it, it's not going to happen no matter how well Oladipo plays or Brogdon or Sabonis or anybody that's established themselves as a star on this team it doesn't matter because that's going to the situation is going to be the same and that's something that he has to adjust to and and I hope you know I mean we talk about Malcolm Brogdon as a veteran leader and a guy that, that really has used his voice, I hope maybe he's the guy that steps up and says something to Nate because, you know, again, we're just not going to win in crunch time and in big situations, like you said. And it's just a frustrating thing to watch over and over and over again. So the Pacers are, as a recordist, of course, in the middle of a five-game road trip. So they are going, just went to Memphis. They got a big win over the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, they swept them, and they're going to be looking for the season sweep over the Oklahoma City Thunder on Wednesday night. That is an 8 o'clock tip on Fox Sports 1. And then they'll finish their four-game series with the Detroit Pistons in the early part of December. Don't you love the NBA schedule and Jake Howell? We were already finishing our series with the Detroit Pistons early in December. Thank God. I think the basketball gods were looking down on us with that one because I hate playing the Pistons. I just feel like no matter who's in their uniform, no matter what year it is, they just always seem to be a thorn in our side, and I, I'm just glad that the series it's the, over with. It's the it's the voodoo from the uh, malice of the palace. But the Pacers will go to Detroit uh, Friday night. That's a seven o'clock tip, and finish their series against Detroit Pistons. Uh, then they conclude their five game road trip in Philadelphia against the Knicks. Uh, those are three fair, fairly winnable games. Uh, Jake, I know after the Sixers game, we thought four and one on this road trip was very feasible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I I mean, and that's what it looks like it's on track to be. I mean, you know, again, you I'm I'm kind of hesitant, even though I've seen the success that this team's had from top to bottom. I'm still hesitant to, you know, start counting games as wins just because, you know, number one, our star player isn't here. And number two, you know, we saw so many issues early on in the season. But, you know, I mean, with the way they're playing and the way the bench is playing, I want to touch on them before we finish. 
and the way this this team is playing in general, I mean, it, it they should finish this road trip four and one. I mean, honestly, you're gonna have they, to. When there's two, you got a back, you got two tough home games beating you after this yeah. five game road trip in uh I mean, in uh, the Los Angeles Clippers and the Boston Celtics. Yeah, I mean, and to to have the opportunity to be sixteen and seven and really make those games less critical for yourself. I mean, again, because the goal is to be as close to contention with Victor out as you can. Once he comes back and reestablishes himself, then it's kind of you hit the ground running. But this team needs to put as much distance between themselves and the 500 mark as you can. And you have three very winnable games, which, again, will put them, you know, 16 and 7. That's a beautiful mark for them to be at. I mean, you have a lot of room for error in terms of what you can do until he comes back when you have that kind of, of lead on your 500 mark. I mean, nine games over for this team would be such a big accomplishment. And the schedule pans out nicely for that to happen. And, you know, they, they have to be able to execute in these games and take advantage of these games. And again, you know, they just went into a game with Memphis, you know, three games in four nights. And I know they were without Morant. And I know they were without Valanchunas. You know, so they were essentially, like you said, playing a G League team. I mean, it was ugly on both sides. You could tell the Pacers were tired and the, the Grizzlies are just inept. But, you know, I mean, you still – you still went in and won the game. I mean, three games in four nights. I mean, that's still there's still something to be said about that. I mean, that shows the depth. That shows guys stepping up. I mean, you had you had Sabonis almost get the quadruple double, Sam. He mm-hmm. obviously had the assist, but how about the six fouls? He I mean, almost had the had, five by five. If he if he was able to get ten fouls, he would have got the quadruple double for sure. I mean, he was he almost got it. That was it, it was a great game for him otherwise, but. You know, I was texting you the, the triple-double countdown. I'm sure we'll get one from him and hopefully Brogdon together um, one of these games. But it, you know, It's due time, suppose we'll get triple-double at this point. Yeah, I, I'm hoping it happens that in the 2020 double-double. Something that is something that needs to happen, hopefully, for, for him to get his all-star nod. But, uh, you know, I mean, to go in there and, again, the balanced scoring from this team, it just doesn't seem like a team that's going to be prone to letdowns at this point. And, you know, so I'm excited to see the next three games. I'm Keeping my fingers crossed that they, like you said, can take advantage of this because of the tough matchups coming up. Their schedule gets a lot harder, you know, in the next few weeks. And, and you know, they really have to take advantage of this time. Um, you know, it's going to be a critical week for them. So I, I'm, I'm interested to see how it pans out. So that will conclude the episode of the Circle City Sports Podcast. A little bit lengthier this time. We had a lot of talk about from the from the Pacers. And, I mean, they've been pleasing us 13-7 on the year. Um after starting 0-3, they're now 13-4. That's a pretty good mark. So uh, we'll see how the Pacers do. We should come back with you guys after the Pacers conclude this five-game road trip um, against the New York Knicks on Saturday night. So, uh, and I want to ask one more question before we go, Sam. I promise I'll talk about the bench. When I, I was watching Aaron Holiday tonight, I, you know, I promised you I'd bring him up on the pod, so I want to do that. And I know, like you said, it was lengthy. But I'm, we've been watching his progression as an offensive player. And he's just playing so smooth and effective right now. I, I, what do you think? I know I usually get the questions, but how close do you think that is this bench to being a real threat for other teams that have to compete against? I mean, obviously we've seen Jeremy Lamb play really well. You know, well, we the have... East the East doesn't pose a whole lot of great bench units. I think the Bucks have a pretty good bench unit, but I mean, outside of that, it's really not much. So I mean. I mean, if this bench unit can, can I mean, like I, I like I told you, I think this bench unit is going to win us a lot of games early on. It's going to win us and lose us a lot of games early on in the year. Like you look at the 0-3 start, the bench unit was absolutely putrid. And you look at the last few weeks, it's been really good. So, I mean, if this bench unit is consistent, Doug McDermott's making his shots, Aaron Holiday has been playing great, and I credit him because he could have easily went back into the into the tank hole after going back to the bench, and he's. Consistently been good. He's played good defense, made his shots when he's needed to, and been a playmaker. So if you know if TJ McConnell is able to come in and give you give you that leadership, Aaron Holiday's consistently giving you uh, some buckets. McDermott's able to hit the three pointer. Justin Holiday's playing great defense and hitting th- timely three pointers. I mean, this bench unit will be one of the better bench units in the league if they can keep up this uh, season long. Yeah, and I, I remember those Eastern Conference Finals runs in that. The bench always holds such an important factor to me because we had a really good starting unit and just a terrible bench. And so we've, you know, for Pacers fans for years, been waiting for a quality bench. And I just, I just, when I watch, like you t- you mentioned McDermott, 
But I mean, the shooting and 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 playmaking ability, guys like Aaron Holiday and Jeremy Lamb. You have now the defense of Justin Holiday, and he's really close to that bench unit because he plays a lot with them too. And we'll we'll see with Victor coming back. That may be something that they explore more. Him him finding you know a spot more with that second unit. That would be interesting to see how they utilize him and and spread him and Miles out. You know, because we talked about earlier Sabonis being better at the five, and I think him playing with the second unit allows that. But just in terms of like the guys that can that can create shots, the guys that can, you know, I just mentioned Justin Holiday. You know how important he's been to the season. I'm just really really excited for really the first time in a long time. That's why I wanted to talk talk about them because again, I was watching Aaron Holiday tonight and just his his improvement and his confidence that he's shooting the ball with. And I tweeted earlier, McMillan being forced to give Aaron Holiday minutes. It might be the best thing that's happened to the Pacers well, this season. Well, put him in as a starter, I think, gave him a lot of confidence too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he started those couple games, and, you know, it wasn't perfect offensively, but kudos to him. Like you said, he's probably the most surprising player this year to me, especially if you tell me he started those three games the way he did. I would tell you he was out of the rotation. So it's a huge credit to him to be able to come in and and just establish himself as a really exciting, dynamic, young offensive player. And I just think he really adds another piece to what I I feel like is a really impressive bench. And, I, you know, when, when the bench used to come in, I used to shudder. And it was just this Lance Stevenson, you know, street ball show and all this other things, you know, before he entrenched himself as a star. But they did use him a lot with the bench, you know, because he was he was an offensive playmaker. You know, but now it's just I have so much confidence in this bench. And I agree with you. I think they've won us a lot of games, but I just wanted to touch on them. I know we've talked about these guys individually, but just as a whole, I just think this bench is just so impressive. And I think I think Kevin Pritch has done such a great job of finding guys like TJ McConnell, bringing in a guy like Jeremy Lamb, bringing, being able to, to have a guy like Doug McDermott, who wasn't great last year, but he's playing a lot better this year. You know, and just that bench in general, I just think – I just think, and we talked about, I, I mentioned them potentially having a, a finals type of run in them. And if they're going to be able to do that within the next couple of years, I think this bench has to remain intact. And I, I just I just give the, the players and the coaches and Pritchard a ton of credit for building this bench because it's done a complete 180 from where it's at. And I'm just really excited to watch all these guys grow. And I want to give them a shout out because, again, they're giving us really quality minutes, taking pressure off the starters. They're not having to overcompensate for Victor. And a big part of that is because of the bench play. So, you know, I just want to give a shout out to Aaron, shout out to the bench because they're playing really, really good basketball right now. And I hope that that can continue throughout the season because I think that once you get into those crunch games, I think that having a deep team is definitely a huge advantage. So it's been fun to watch. And I hope we're able to keep this up because I think this is one of the youngest dynamic benches in the league, to be honest with you, with just from top to bottom. So I, I hope they can keep this up because it's exciting. So that will this will actually conclude the episode of the Circle City Sports Podcast. We will try to come back with you guys after the Pacers finish the uh, road stretch in New York, uh, and we'll preview the two important games against the Clippers and the Celtics at home. The next the next two home games that they have. Um, so we hope you guys look forward to that. We appreciate you guys coming on and listening to this show, and we hope you guys have a good rest of the day.